0: Today is November 11th, 2014, and my guest is Emily Oster of the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business. Emily, welcome back to EconTalk. Thank you very much. Our topic for today is a paper you've co-authored with Alice Chen and Heidi Williams on infant mortality. In particular, you're looking at why the United States has higher rates of infant mortality than uh, many European countries and I thought it would be interesting to talk about this particular issue, which I'm very interested in 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 its in itself. But I'm also more interested in the general question of how we use health data to evaluate public policy and to think about ways to make things better. So I hope we'll get into those issues as well in today's episode. Uh, let's start with what is to be explained. What kind of differences are we talking about between the United States and Europe?
1: Um, so they're very large. So if you look at the... At the sort of baseline, like what is the world development indicator or the, um, say, is the, the differences in infant mortality rates, uh, the U.S. ranks something like 50th internationally. Um, and the difference between the U.S. and a, a frontier country like Finland or Sweden is something like three deaths in 1,000. So the, the infant mortality rate in the U.S. is about six in 1,000. In these other places, it's about three. Uh, And, you know, if you think about that, that amounts to something like 12,000 excess deaths a year uh, among live-born infants, and so that's a reasonably large number. It's certainly very large uh, as a share.
0: Right, it's double, which seems like a very large number. Three seems small, 12,000 seems horrible, right? Uh, So it it is an interesting example in and of itself of the challenges of trying to assess what's big and small, but I think think the 100% part, the fact that our the United States rate is double that of, say, uh, Finland. is surprising and and interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, I think that's a lot of how people have have thought about this. On the one hand, there's you know, the good news is in all of these places the infant mortality rate is very low relative to you know historical norms or relative to developing countries. On the other hand, clearly there's there's a long way to go, and there are there are many places, most of Europe, even places outside there, which are doing much, much better than the U.S. on this dimension. and There's no particular reason that we think that should have to be.
0: And to put it into historical perspective, uh, the number I have used in the past for uh, infant mortality in 1900, and infant mortality, we're going to get into the definition, but it's usually uh, when you just say infant mortality, it's death within the first year of life. Um, In 1900, the data I have seen says it was one in ten, and now it's about a half per 100 or 6 per 1000 so yeah. it's about a 20-fold improvement uh since uh in the last century
1: yeah no that sounds right i mean those those changes should not be forgotten i mean there's enormous amounts of progress that have been made on this uh on this dimension and i think that's that's really
0: you know wonderful so let's start with the with the um just the fact itself which seems like a fact but of course all facts are have context and is issues of measurement and definition. So how is infant mortality defined in the data that is usually used that we're talking about at the national level, say 6 per thousand, three in the United States, 2 or 3 per 1000 in uh, Scandinavia. How what is the definition?
1: So the definition is deaths in the first year among live born infants. Um, so that's, that is the definition. And when you see numbers that are reported by the world development indicators, uh, or the CIA has some numbers, that's, that's the number that, that you're going to get. And that's reported by the country. And so one of the issues that I think often comes up that we do talk about in the paper is that how you define a live born infant actually varies. Um, and so in particular, you know, human gestation is Intended to be approximately 40 weeks. Uh, infants born before 22 weeks are effectively never survive. Um, but there are there, there is a lot of variation across countries in whether you ever report uh, infants born in that earlier period before 22 weeks as live births, and that those kind of reporting issues actually do potentially bias uh, bias some of these these comparisons, so because like every, if you report any deaths, any live births in that period, there are certainly going to be also, that is going to count as a death, you can inflate uh, the numbers. So the first thing we do in, in the paper, which is sort of possible because of the kinds of data we have, is is limit to what we think of as a comparable sample, where kind of all of the countries are reporting, uh, are reporting infants in that range as live births. And that actually turns out to make some difference. So the the difference between the U.S. Uh, and the the comparison countries we use, which are Finland and Austria, shrinks from three to to two deaths per thousand once you adjust for this uh, for these differences in reporting. So that's certainly something to sort of start thinking about.
0: Yeah, I want to come back to that, but we, just to make it sure. clear, when you say the difference shrinks from three to two, so right now uh, the the raw difference is six per thousand in the U.S. versus three per thousand in, say, Finland. So that's a difference of three. And yeah. a third of that difference is data-driven, is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. Okay. A third of that difference is
0: reporting-driven. Before we get to that, uh, we we should give listeners some feel for the range outside of of the developed world. There are countries, tragically, with infant mortality rates over 100 per thousand still, correct? And, that, and that, again, that's... That's the equivalent of a 1900 level of infant mortality.
1: Yeah, there are certainly places like that. Um, Afghanistan would be in this category. Um, some countries in in Africa. Um, if you take a country like India, uh, which is of course very large, the, if they report infant mortality rate something like 40 in a thousand, so still very very big. And then this goes all the way down to about two in the places that are doing the best, which would be like Sweden, maybe Japan.
0: Um, but I'm thinking when you talk about the definition and how live birth is defined in some countries, particularly poor countries, um, I assume there's variation in a preterm baby, whether it's a preterm infant, whether it's whether it's defined as a live birth or not.
1: Yeah, I think so. And the, And the truth is in most of these developing countries where these rates are so high, those differences are not going to be very important in the scheme of, of the overall level. So part of what makes these reporting differences potentially important when you're comparing, say the U S to, to Europe is that already the rates are pretty low. And so things that kind of matter a little bit are going to matter sort of relatively more as a share. When you're talking about a place with an infant mortality rate of, of 150 per thousand you know small differences in reporting are going to be vanishing in the in the scheme of those
0: comparisons right, but I do want to mention in my quick look at the data, there is improvement in the last five years, even in those poor countries
1: yes, no all of this isn't getting much better much much better over time, and I think that's you know that's a that's a function of better health care and more vaccinations and uh, but, you know, some better sanitation and and other policies. And so I think things have really been improving, which
0: is, you know,
1: again, like broadly, this, this problem is getting much better, which is very encouraging.
0: And one of the challenges of thinking about this is that there's specific things like you just mentioned, sanitation, healthcare, but as my first thought stepping back from this is that Resources generally are really important per capita. Some measure of standard of living is going to be extremely important, and that, of course, is why it's it's such a puzzle that the U.S., which is a, a very rich nation, still is twice the um, the rate of, say, Finland.
1: Yeah, I mean, in general, like almost everything, this is going to line up with income, and it broadly does line up with income, and it is puzzling that the U.S. is down in like next to Croatia, even though you know the U.S. is much much richer than in Croatia.
0: About three times, if I remember correctly, about. from your paper. Yeah. So um, let's talk about some, defi- some definitions and a little bit about how data get collected in this area. So when you talk about the world development indicators, I assume every hospital uh, in the United States has some requirement to report uh, births, deaths, uh, and those numbers get aggregated in some way and then sent to... Some international source, and that's where we get the six from. is that correct
1: yeah that's correct so these these are going to come in the u s from from what are called the natality detail files, which are collected uh, and reported by the c d c so they're basically like short form birth certificate data, so you can actually see not you know not people's names and addresses but but for each birth, you see you know the characteristics of the birth things that happened, the gestation, the birth weight, and so on, and then that's linked um, to deaths in the first year. So that's like a nationally available, nationally curated data set. And th- that is how – those are the numbers that will be then reported to, you know, in, in international statistics
0: for the U.S. So that's the birth the birth side, uh, and that word in there you used was natality, correct? Natality. N-A-T-A. Yeah, yes. it's a tough word. Don't use it that often in everyday conversation. <laughs> it doesn't come up. Um, but but that's the birth side. How do we know that a, that a child – if an infant dies, you know – tragically in the hospital, that gets counted pretty straightforwardly, I assume, or if it's born and doesn't survive the delivery. Again, there's a question whether it was a live birth or not, depending on how many weeks it was maybe. But uh, an infant that dies at, at six months or or 11 months, how does that get into the data?
1: So there are mortality reporting files in the US also. Um, and so deaths get reported in, a, in the same kind of uh, systemized way. And then sort of in the back room somewhere at the CDC, these things get linked. Um, so you can actually get access to the birth data linked to information on death, including the, you know, the recorded cause of death and the sort of standard stuff that would be on a death certificate.
0: And that's going on in every country. Uh, that's well, that's say-
1: going on in, in, mo- in many developed
0: countries. Let's put it that way. Okay, why, why do you say many?
1: Uh, well, I mean, we, we, so we, as part of this project, actually, we tried to get, this equivalent data for as many countries as we could. Um, and some, some we did, we got some, I think some of them are just not, um, are like not, not sort of linking this in quite the same way, such that you could use it like this, but some version of this where you're recording birth and then you're recording deaths, Some version of that is happening in all these,
0: in all developed countries for sure. What's not happening that would make it hard to use? You say it's not happening in every country. What, what, what's going on?
1: Well, I think in many poor countries, you know, births and deaths are not reported in a a consistent way. And so these numbers for for mortality are taken from smaller scale surveys or from estimates from parts of the population or from various kinds of inference. And I think there it's very very complicated. Even in developed countries, you know, it's not obvious that you would – there's no particular reason that you need to have the – like micro individual birth data linked to individual death data, except for like research purposes um and so I think in many countries that just that doesn't happen
0: okay, so let's go to your data. You have a different kind of data you call it microdata, describe it, and um what are its advantages
1: so we've got this this uh, data that I described for the u s where we have we see every birth uh we're looking at two thousand to two thousand five, so we see every uh, every birth linked to information about death in the first year, if the infant died, uh, and then we have effectively the same data from Finland and Austria. So it's every birth uh, linked to information about the the birth, the birth weight, the gestation, and things about the mother, uh, and then also linked to information about deaths in the first year, uh, including you know exactly when, at what age the the infant died, and some information on cause of death. So we have quite a rich and comparable data set
0: across all three places. Why did you choose those three?
1: So um, the truth is that we actually tried to get this data from from every place that we could.
0: Sure.
1: Um, and, and these are, so we knew we had this from the U.S. This is very commonly used uh, for the European countries. They basically just, you know, mass called and emailed all the European countries uh, in an attempt to to get this. And these are the two that, that worked out. Uh, we also have some data from... The UK and from Belgium, where it's a little more aggregated, so we can't do quite the same analysis, but we can do some of our analyses there. So it turns out, I think you know these are good comparison countries because Finland is kind of in this frontier of places that are doing really, really well, and Austria is kind of right in the middle of the U.S. distribution. But I can't, I can't say that that we, I can't say that we did this in some. Uh, in some way that was that that well thought
0: out. No, you took what you got, which is which we is yeah, which back. is fine. Um, yes. And let's talk about the other data that's in there besides birth and death. So uh, you have information about the mother. Is this a, is this a sample or is this purporting to be exhaustive? This is a universe. Okay, so to be exhaustive. when uh, when my wife gave birth, the hospital had a bunch of information about her. Um, What kind of information would they have? And and obviously, when the baby is born, they do a bunch of tests. They, you know, the baby is weighed. The baby is uh, the the height, length. It's not really height because they're not standing up, but it's the length of the baby. There's um, APGAR scores, which are which you should describe what those are. And what other stuff do we get uh, that's required?
1: we have everything. Um, so an Apgar score is, is the sort of most commonly used measure of of just how is the baby doing at birth. It's on a scale from one to one to ten or zero to ten, I guess. Um, and so like a nine would be the sort of standard, like everything is looking good kind of score. And so that's that's a sort of summary of how well the baby's breathing and and so on. Um, so we see that uh, we see the weight, we see the length. Uh, we see the gestation. we see uh, a bunch of information about complications of labor and delivery and complications with the baby. so if the infant has a birth defect that's recorded, um, you know heart a heart problem or down syndrome that that goes in this goes in this data. Um, if the labor was very fast or very slow, or there was a c section, all of that stuff goes in the data so it 's a quite a rich Sort of set of information about about the circumstances of the birth and, and characteristics of the infant.
0: What do you know about the mom or the dad? So we the...
1: know that, so we know um, we know a little, some. We know the education. Uh, we know their race. Uh, we know their birth country. Um, obviously, we know the the location of the birth uh, and the location of residence. And assuming that there's a father around, uh, his education is also recorded and marital status and and that type of thing so some like what would you think of as sort of basic demographic information
0: uh, how, how do you get the education does that education number come from because that's important obviously so uh, this
1: is all in these natality files and it is I think intended to be reported in this like birth long-form birth certificate information i mean i remember being asked when i had my daughter i remember being asked at the hospital like how much education do you have
0: so I don't I remember that. writing that, a, that down. Yeah. That's the kind of question I don't, I you know, don't
1: there's like. A lot of, there's a lot of other stuff was going on, so yeah. it probably was not. You know, had I not been thinking about this research project, it probably not have been front of mind. Yeah, right. I just I
0: just don't remember anything remotely like uh, providing that information. But of course, I have health insurance, but not everybody does. So I'm just wondering how. But say you you say you have the universe of all births, say, in the United States in 2000, 2000 through 2005. There must be missing data, lots of missing data.
1: I mean, there's, there is, I think it seems very likely that there, there are births that are, that are missed. Um, you know, births are supposed to, be, in order to get a social security card and be able to, like, work and be a U.S. citizen, you must have a birth certificate. This information is collected as part of the birth certificate. So, like, at least some of this information. So, you know, if you're born in a hospital, you're getting this. If you're born at home, you know, you are supposed to get this information. This information is supposed to be collected, so then you can get a birth certificate. Now, what is almost certainly true is if there is a birth at home, you know, informa- all of the, like, details about the medical procedures that occur during the birth and so on are likely to be less well reported, um, but, and, you know, but basically, anything that happens in a hospital, most of the complicated information here would have nothing to do with the individual having to report it. would be in, It would be reported by the by the hospital by the doctor. So, so just being in that sense, you know.
0: So, just out of curiosity, do you know how many, what proportion of births are, are home versus hospital? I assume it's very small. The home birth. It's very small. Mm-hmm. It's like a half of one percent. Okay. Um, so let's. Okay. So that's you have that for the United States. You have for you have it for Finland. You have it for Austria. And so you've got a um, a lot of micro information about the birth that's not in the national numbers that we normally see. And now tell us what you found when you looked more carefully, given that data, about what might explain those differences.
1: Yeah. So I think we were, we were pretty focused on trying to think about the kind of accounting problem. And we broke it down and sort of... Four parts so first there's this issue of reporting and so just kind of limiting to a sample we thought was comparable the second issue is looking at, at differences in prematurity so this is an issue that gets a lot of attention in the US the US has a high rate of prematurity meaning uh, a large share of babies born prior to what we'd consider a completed gestation um, and so we find that both reporting and prematurity matter uh, matter a fair amount so as I said the about a third of this gap between the U.S. and and elsewhere is closed by this reporting uh, issue. And we do find that that also particularly compared to Finland, but also to some extent compared to Austria, the differences in prematurity uh, matter. So, I think the thing that's most interesting um, that is most interesting, that is, that is most different from what people have found before, is in these data we're able to separate the in the neonatal period. So the, the very early period after birth, uh, the first week or the first month from what happens after that. And this distinction is kind of very central because the things that cause death in those two periods are very different. Uh, and what we find is actually conditional on birth weight. The U S is doing very well early on. So in the first week or the first month, we're actually doing like better than Finland. Uh, and, very, very comparable to Austria. And then when we move to the period from a month to a year of life, when infants are typically at home and a lot of deaths occur, you know, in the household in some way, uh, that is the period in which the U S is really, uh, really lagging behind other countries. And, and really that is like driving a lot of these differences. And I think that was the sort of the most surprising thing we saw.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. We're going to, I want to come back to that, but Sure. I, want to, I want to start with the the two issues you, you just mentioned you started you started with which are the reporting issue and the prematurity issue let's talk about the reporting issue how did you I, I'd like to give the listeners a feel for how you actually quote controlled for that w- what did you do to your data to take the reporting differences out of the measurement
1: so we did it's pretty straightforward so we did basically three things we took out Infants where the gestational age was less than 22 weeks. Uh, we took out infants that where the gestational age was less than where the, the weight at birth was less than 500 grams, um, because in these are kind of standard reporting things. And so all countries report babies in those categories of you know later than 22 weeks, larger than 500 grams, and there's variation below that. Uh, and we also in this case we took out singleton births. Uh, sorry, we took out plural births, not because of, so much because of issues of reporting, but because uh, there is more, um, there are many more of those in the U.S., probably due to the reproductive mm-hmm. technology. Yeah. Um, and so in some sense, because those infants are more vulnerable, you would like to kind of compare apples to apples and, and look at singleton births. So that's all we did. It was not an not especially a, a sophisticated way to approach this. We just took out things we thought were... Where the reporting was not consistent,
0: but but what's interesting is that the U.S. then has more uh, deliveries let less than twenty-two weeks and more deliveries under five hundred grams uh, birth weight. Is that right?
1: It, no, that's not so clear. So that's the issue because if this is supposed to be reporting of, of live births, so I think the way you want to think about it is if the infant takes a if the infant is born at twenty weeks and and kind of moves around a little bit, uh, that. That will sometimes in the U.S. get reported as a live birth, but it would not get reported as a live birth in these other places. So it's not. It is possible the U.S. has more births in that period, but that is not something we can see in the data because we're simply not seeing those. We're simply not seeing those observations elsewhere because they're getting reported as miscarriages,
0: and or stillbirths. And five hundred grams is, according to my crude effort, is that about a pound? Yeah, it's about a pound. So that's a tiny. The average birth yeah. weight of a full term baby is about, I assume, seven to eight pounds. About seven. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's remarkably small. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that's the first one. Um, did we talk about prematurity while I was doing that? Did you talk about while I was doing my conversion just there?
1: <laughs> we didn't. Well, I mean, I mentioned prematurity. We okay. Can talk yeah. More about
0: that. Yeah. Tell me what you did to deal with that.
1: Um, so we, so what we do to deal with that is we just um, is we we put in basically adjustments for. Uh, for either gestational week or, in fact, what we use is is birth weight. So it turns out um, birth weight in these data are much better recorded than gestational age, which is not surprising. The way yep. you record gestational age is by asking a ask, woman, like, know. when was your last period? When You know, when did people don't – this is a hard thing to remember. Uh, birth weight is very precise. It's measured in the hospital, and, and the correlation is obviously very, very, very high. Um, so we use birth weight, and we basically – one thing is we just look at the comparison across the countries and we say basically if the U.S. adopted the birth weight distribution, like magically acquired the birth weight distribution of one of these other countries, but kept the, the mortality conditional on birth weight the same, how much of the gap would that close? So it's sort of like a counterfactual, like if that was the only thing that we changed, right. how much of a difference would it make? And the answer there is it would close much of the gap with Finland, something like 75%. But only about a third, but less than a third of the gap with with Austria. So it clearly matters, um, but it matters a lot more relative to
0: Scandinavia. So state that again. The if the U.S. I mean, how different is the birth weight distribution? That, that's what's so surprising, right? So it's
1: it, it's interesting. So if you look, we have some graphs in the paper, which of course are difficult to explain on the on the podcast, but you can. You can look at them. Um, you know, and We will put a link
0: actually, up to the paper, of course.
1: Um, excellent. So ch- check out figure two. Uh, well, I mean, one of the things you can see is actually the U.S. and Austria have really, really, really similar birth weight. The only place they differentiate is a little bit at the very bottom. The U.S. has a few more babies in the kind of 500 to 1,000 grams, but they're very similar. The big difference is the that Finnish babies are much larger than either of the other places. Like much, much larger. Um, And I don't think there's a, there's like not a great explanation for that one, um, you know, one possibility is just like the fins are tall and they have giant babies. I, you know, I think that's something that's a little hard to tell, but but for example, they're about, they're more than 200 grams heavier on average than than babies in the U.S. Um, So that's, that turns out to, to matter they're also you know the the rates of prematurity are are just lower. And that's actually something we know to be true like that's a commonly observed fact that is not very well understood because we don't know really what causes infants to be born prematurely which is making it very difficult to understand why it might differ across space.
0: Right. So and and you said we don't know very much do we know anything?
1: basically, um, we know a few things. So so for example, smoking, uh, increases the rate of prematurity, um, using drugs like meth, um, also not good. Uh, but beyond those, those things that that's basically, that's it. So we don't like, you know, 12% of births or 10% of births in the U S are, are preterm. And obviously 10% of women are not smoking and using methamphetamines. And so, you know, there's a tremendous amount of variation that we just have a very, very poor understanding of.
0: It's, it's, there's a random component that
1: may be related
0: to other things, but we don't know what they are is what you're saying.
1: Exactly. There's some random component. It's probably related to some other stuff. We don't know what it is. If this is related to the fact that we don't actually know what causes women to go into labor in the first place, or we have only a very poor understanding of that, even at term, like at full term, we just don't know. We just don't know very much about like, what are the biological mechanisms that prompt that to
0: happen? There's not a switch, strangely enough. There's not a switch, yeah. exactly. <laughs> or if there is, we don't know where it is. Yeah, um, probably
1: there is a switch, but we yeah, haven't figured out how to turn uh, it off enough. Yeah, <laughs> but we do
0: know, I guess, the the only thing I know about this, and I, I assume there's some evidence for it, is that, and of course, Emily was a, um, her, her previous Econ talk appearance was talking about what we know about pregnancy, which is um, sometimes less than we'd like to know. Um, uh-huh. The thing that, that I think we know is that not being active slows it down uh at least w- women who are at risk of delivering early are told to take it easy is that is that do we know that that actually works right not just no, take that it easy work. they get they get put on bed no, no, rest
1: that, yeah that doesn't work
0: bed rest does not work no bed, bed rest does not work how do we know that uh randomized trials because People, women get put on bed rest, I say people, women, women, women get put on bed rest all the time, right?
1: No, this is one of the like most, when we did this sort of earlier stuff about pregnancy, this is like a very striking fact. A lot of people are put on bed rest. I think it is increasingly well accepted. Bed rest is definitely not useful for preventing premature babies or doing anything. It's just, it's actually pretty bad. It has some other like negative consequences. So no, systems like just lay around, not effective.
0: Wow. Oh, it does have an 18th century ring to it. Um, sure, which, yeah. Which makes, I mean, everyone likes relax, right?
1: I think it turns out when you actually, it sounds great when you're pregnant, you know, it sounds great to be like, oh, I'll just like lay in the bed, but actually being forced to lay in your bed all Horrible. the time. is Horrible. very unpleasant.
0: Okay, yeah. good to know. Um, so let's, um, let's regroup here. Um, let's summarize uh, what you've told us so far. We've got... Controlling for uh, birth weight, prematurity. um, Is is that the only two we've talked about so far?
1: Yeah, so like, you know, adjusting for reporting differences and and kind of adjusting for for prematurity, you find, you know, the U.S. is is still substantially worse off than than elsewhere. So even if we had the same levels of, of birth weight as, as these other places, things would still be much worse in the U.S.
0: But not relative to Finland. Uh,
1: But much less so relative to Finland.
0: That's true. But relative to Austria. Slightly worse. But
1: relative to Austria, much worse, slightly worse relative to Finland.
0: So let's turn to the the surprising finding, which is fascinating, uh, which is that uh, neonatal, which I guess means close to birth, uh, Mm -hmm. as you said, first week or so, maybe first month, U.S., uh, Infant mortality is – neonatal mortality is is very, very good yeah. relative to these two countries at least, uh, whereas the, say, month two through 12, it's where the U.S. Is, is is doing much worse. And this, of course, is not visible in the standard national data because that just looks at any time within the first year. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, and it's actually – it's it's sort of even – in some sense, harder than that because sometimes in these national data sets, they do separate like the first month and, and the later period. But what they are not able to do is do that controlling for birth weight. So like from a policy, so as economists, like I think, you know, we're interested in like what we would do about policy. And so I think then the question you want to ask is conditional on the inputs that you're given, sort of conditional on the weight of the babies that are in your that are born in your hospital. How are we doing at the kind of neonatal in the neonatal period, and then how are we doing later? Because that's like, that's how you sort of think about identifying policies. And just reporting aggregate numbers, certainly overall in the first year, but even if you separated these time periods, but you didn't think about the differences in inputs, you would still be misleading. So what we find is once we are able to adjust for differences in, in birth weight, which we're able to do because the data is so is so rich, as you say, the U.S. actually looks quite good at, in the early period and then really, really not very good later.
0: So to say that a different way, let me make sure I understand it. You're saying that if you don't control for birth weight, uh, the U.S. might have still a very high infant, uh, neonatal mortality yes. rate, but that doesn't take account of the fact that the U.S. has lots of small babies, right, which risks, yes. which is increases the risk that. of death when you hold that constant. We're actually doing very well. But isn't there a question of why we have such low birth weights?
1: Yes, there is. But I think that's, and I think that is, that is again, related to this prematurity question because that's being driven by a lot of high, high rates of prematurity. And I think this doesn't say we shouldn't worry about that. We should worry about that. But I think from the standpoint of, of the sort of neonatal period, the question you'd like to ask is like, is, is the U S having a problem because our neonatal care is really terrible? And if you looked at the aggregate statistics and you saw, oh, look, the U.S. has, very, has high neonatal mortality, we might be tempted to think, well, let's, let's like invest a lot more money in, in NICU care and like, you know, making sure that we you know, have high-quality hospitals and that the hospitals are tacked up in various ways. And but they I think already are, you, of course. But they already are. Actually, <laughs> yeah. they're doing very well. Their inputs are not very good. Uh, but once they get the inputs, things are looking very good. And I think that kind of tells you, yes, let's think about prematurity you know, maybe, maybe think about that more so than we think about investing in, in NICU. Care. When, you,
0: when you say input, you mean the quality of the pregnancy? Yeah, the, pregnancy the birth and the, weight of the baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So given that, I'm going to take the one thing we know, uh, that I think we know. W- one example that if we wanted to improve the neonatal rate, then you're saying uh, mortality rate would be to, uh, the raw numbers would be to just if we could reduce the smoking rate, if people stop smoking or chose to stop smoking, uh, that would presumably increase uh, the number of births that are that come to term, and would improve the um, survival rate.
1: Yes, no, that's definitely true. Although in fact, those effects are probably pretty small. Um, like even the smoking is like the one thing we know to matter. It, it actually the rates are not the 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 impacts are not that big. Um, but certainly that is. Yes, and if we got people to stop, you know, I actually think this methamphetamine thing is, is not a trivial problem. Uh, and so if we address that problem, that would improve neonatal mortality as well.
0: Yeah, uh, but, but presumably that's a hard – what's yeah. your evidence or intuition for why you think that's a serious problem? Because obviously you don't have any good data on that.
1: Yeah, you know, I would say the, the Internet, uh, which is probably not the best source of – source of this um that i mean some of this is from talking to to people who like doctors who treat you know who treat women in areas that are that have high prematurity rates and this comes up in you know certain parts of the u.s this comes up in discussions as a as an issue
0: yeah it's interesting but It Heart may just to, be that it's very like salient. it's what uh, yeah it could be it just, may just yeah. be that it
1: feels very salient
0: sure so let's move on to the first year problem uh so, the U.S. despite the uh, raw numbers does quite well in the neonatal mortality rate. Now, what, what do we call the? Um, is it postnatal? What do we call the? Post,
1: yeah, post neonatal.
0: So the post neonatal period, which is say, is it two months? Is it second month? It's,
1: continue, it's a month. It's, yeah, it's a month to a year. Okay, right? so, like so from in that thirty days to a
0: year. So there, uh, the U.S. It, and if you look at the data, which as you say, it's hard to show on the on the podcast, but it's it's shocking actually because you see these two lines, the U S versus another country, they're moving along together. And then all of a sudden the U S diverges dramatically. in the first year as the time as time passes in the life of the child. What, what do we think's going on there?
1: So, you know, it's hard to, it's, it's very hard to say. So one of the, you know, one of the places we try to look, um, for, uh, information is looking in the causes of death to try to see, is there sort of something that, that jumps out as like, this is a particular thing that's going on. Um, You know, one thing we can say is it doesn't seem to be differences in, like, congenital abnormalities, um, which is, you know, actually a pretty common cause of death, but doesn't seem to be more common in the U.S. Um, But it turns out most of the excess deaths are things like SIDS, um, accidents, you know, to some small extent, assaults. Um, So that's, you know, that's somewhat informative, but since SIDS is the most common cause of death in this period, it is not actually that informative to say that it is also... Accounting for the largest share of the difference.
0: So it's a sudden infant um, death syndrome, yeah, uh, which is. So, it, go, go ahead. S- go ahead.
1: I was just going to say it's yeah, so it's sudden infant death syndrome, and it's it's a kind of intended to be a di- to be a cause of death that refers to something specific, which is like the infant just stopped breathing and and died. Although in practice, it ends up uh, capturing a lot of residual sort of things that happened when we don't really know what actually happened.
0: Yeah, in a way, it's. But the way it's, of course, phrased, it's it's a way of saying we don't know what happened. Um, yeah. Do we know any? You know, our, our children were all born um, in in the '90s, and that was right at the time when there was a great deal of of anxiety about SIDS. Um, what's the state of of our knowledge about it? And you know, what what do we know about what prevents it, if anything? At the time there was a worry about babies sleeping on their stomach and everyone was told to have the baby sleep on their side. And I think, I remember, well, you tell me, what do we know about it?
1: Yeah. So I think um, that, that turns out to be actually a pretty good policy. So your baby should sleep on its back. Uh, I think we've in general moved towards a a kind of view that the infant should be sleeping on its back with no blankets um, in, in a, like a crib with no pillows or anything. Uh, and I think that's the kind of I think the the etiology of, of SIDS is is such that basically an, an infant just stops breathing and so things which make the infant sleep less soundly uh tend to have some positive uh some positive impacts on this. So so having a fan in the less, room for example, you say less soundly? Yeah. Yeah. Basically if the infant is sleeping too oh. soundly they forget to breathe. Oh. That's kind of like the that's not the only thing that happens, but I think that's sort of part of the understanding is that like they just stop breathing. Uh, and so when you are not as soundly asleep, that is less happening to somewhat less of an extent. And so things like having a pacifier um, and having a fan in the room are both things that are now, I think, recommended as, uh, as ways to, to lower the SIDS, the SIDS risk. But this back to sleep thing is the biggest. The biggest issue, and has actually quite – has had quite large impacts on the rates of SIDS over time. You can see pretty clearly that campaign in the, in the time series.
0: Uh, but it's, it's a very small number, right? We're, it's a small number. Let's talk, about the, let's talk about the magnitudes in general when we're talking about this difference in now in the U.S. to, say, Finland or U.S. to Austria um, postnatal um, death mortality rate what kind of numbers are we talking about here?
1: About one in a thousand. Right. So the, the sort of difference in this period is about one in a thousand deaths. And so that says, if you could kind of move the U S to the rate of say Austria in this period, holding constant the situation at birth and holding constant, you know, what's happening in the first month, uh, you would decrease the overall mortality by about one in a thousand deaths. And that, that's about 4,000 deaths a year. So you know, it's not um, it's not an enormous number, but it's you know, a reasonably large.
0: Well, every one of them is horrific, so you exactly. know. Exactly. So I
1: mean, it's like a very terrible thing to happen. So
0: unbearable. Um, the question is, and I'm sure you've thought about it. The question is, how much of the, I mean, one in a thousand is a small number? Is it how much of that is a random difference that m- might not show up year in year out, and and is due to unpredictable, unknowable things. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, these differences are pretty consistent in our data over this period. Um, and obviously there's a statistical statement, which is that they're very precise and that there are an enormous number. I mean, these regressions have 25 million observations or something. So, um, so I think at, you know, at that, at that level, I think it's unlikely that this is driven sort of totally by chance. Um, and that's, that's sort of as far as we got thinking
0: about that, I guess. But, and we're going to come, well, let's come to this now. I mean, the other issue um, obviously is is what we would call socioeconomic um, poverty, um, violence. We'll try to summarize, you, you touched on it before, try to summarize what we know yeah. about that one in a thousand where it's coming from. Obviously, some of it is, you know, I, it's, it's hard to believe that, that there's a um, an important difference in how U.S. parents are having their are using pillows versus Finnish parents in terms of SIDS rates. Um, so, what might matter that's important? What try to break it down again for that for causes.
1: So, you know what we do on the socioeconomic status stuff is we basically try to to ask the question uh, at the in the sort of high SES groups, which we think about as, as like college-educated in the U.S., white SES like is socioeconomic, women, socioeconomic status. status sorry. You know. uh, so if we take take like college-educated, white, married women in the U.S. and compare them to the, the similar demographic in Finland and Austria, so high-education, married women, um, to basically see is this a difference across countries, which is kind of existing everywhere in the socioeconomic status. Distribution and we find that that it's not so. So these sort of white, college-educated, married women in the U.S. look, in terms of their mortality, their, their infant's mortality rates, they look just like that comparable group elsewhere. Um, so it is not the case that that uh, it is not the case that that group is doing worse uh, than than these other countries. What's happening is that the that there's relatively small differences in either Finland or Austria across these, uh, these parts of the kind of socioeconomic status distribution, whereas in the U.S. there are very, very large differences uh, across groups. And that that turns out to be kind of dro- basically driving most of this, uh, most of these differences.
0: And there's just mm-hmm. a lot of um, different factors to socioeconomic status. So what yeah. – what did you find was, are some factors more important than others? I mean, you're this like, is
1: this being driven by education, basically. Um, now, that doesn't mean, that's not exactly the answer you're looking for because that doesn't that doesn't tell you what it is about the education, but the, the most important variable in this is
0: education. Well, yeah, we don't know what that means exactly because obviously okay. education tends to be, is, is correlated with income. Yeah. It, it it'd be great if we said, you know, more educated women know more stuff about how to be be good mothers, and therefore we just need to get that information to people who are, have less education, but it's not that simple.
1: No. No, and actually, you know, we looked at, at some point we tried, this isn't in the current draft of the paper, but we tried to look at, you know, particular behaviors, things like back to sleep or like smoking. And we, you know, we found that in a lot of those cases, it's, it's true that, you know, high socioeconomic status women in the U.S. undertake sort of better, better behaviors on those dimensions than, than lower socioeconomic status women. But that's also true elsewhere. So those differences in the U.S. In, across groups in behaviors didn't seem to be particularly large uh, relative to those, the differences elsewhere. So it, it, there wasn't like some behavior that sort of stuck out as a smoking, as a smoking gun.
0: But but if I if I understand what you said correctly, you're saying that uh, you know Finland's and to some extent Austria is is less diverse than the United States racially, it's less diverse economically, um I I assume. And yeah. uh if the United States had the going back to your earlier statements, if the United States had the same birth weight and the same socioeconomic status as Finland and Austria, uh, there would be virtually no difference between the mortal- infant mortality rates.
1: Yeah, that's true. Now, of course, that that's like, as a policy, get as, everyone as rich as Finland is pretty daunting. Um, and I think, you know, part of the challenge you know, we're trying to think through whether we can push this forward at all is, is thinking about, you know, are there things you could do that are that are sort of smaller scale than just like bring everybody to the income level of, of Finland that, that would kind of ameliorate some of these problems in a kind of more micro focusing more on this particular issue, as opposed to like trying to fix the whole sort of setup. And And I mean, (laughs) the one thing that we, we talk a little bit about in the paper is, is some kind of home home visiting program, which I think is, is something that's gotten, you know, some, some significant policy discussion in the U S of late, so in all of these European countries, these two and basically all the rest of them, they have programs where someone comes like to your house after you are home with your kid and gives you some advice and tells you something about, you know, how to parent and and I think that, that those programs actually continue for some period of time after the after the birth. Um, we don't have much of that in, in the US. You can see why a program like that might be of particular use to people with limited resources. Who maybe don't have uh, as many places to go for advice and information, and you know, I don't, I don't know if you remember how much you were like. But when I brought home my my daughter, it was sort of like, there you are in your house with your kid, and like, I, I guess it's gonna wake up. Like, I have to do something with it. You know, it's very, there's, it's very hard to figure out what exactly to be doing with with a baby, and I think, you know, that that problem becomes more acute as resource constraints. Uh, as resource constraints bind. And so I think one thing that people have seen in the U.S. in some of these, these home visiting programs is that they do have some effects on mortality. So I think that's one kind of policy one might imagine ramping, ramping up.
0: Yeah, I remember um, wanting desperately to have a manual.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Especially that first night, um, our daughter was crying, crying like a baby and, think, and we're thinking, what do we do now? Yeah. yeah yeah most mo- we know that thousands of parents have suge- successfully negotiated this challenge because we're here um most of it works on its own comes naturally we're now trying to you know what we're talking about now is is that last half of a half of a percent where again you know even given your breakdown before of, you know, SIDS versus violence, it's great that someone might come to my house and say, by the way, although I wouldn't want them to, I just want to say on the record, uh, and I'm not sure I'd want to pay for it, but, uh, and I'm not sure it's a good idea, but if someone came to my house, whether it's my parent, my own parent, or a neighbor and said, by the way, you know, it's good to have the baby sleep on its back, that seems like a good thing. Uh, Of course, implementing, it's not straightforward at all. Uh, And it would seem to me that the rest of the, of the, uh, categorization of of the that last bit of uh possible improvement we can make is is, it seems like it might be just purely cultural um do you think that's a reasonable conclusion
1: yeah i mean i i think the one thing to to caution is when we sort of start talking about uh, about small numbers there are pockets in the u.s where these numbers are much bigger so for example among um like Women with less than a black women with less than a high school education on the, the in Cook County, which would basically be the south side of Chicago, the infant mortality rate in this period is about sixteen per thousand, uh, which is obviously a lot bigger. And so that that suggests that that you know there may be scope in particular pockets to actually have much much larger changes. And I think it's it's you know more. It's more potentially than than things like you know your kid should should sleep on your back. I think that it's it's you know a, many of these programs are sort of a somewhat more holistic view about kind of how do you think about parenting and you know when when is it okay to give your kid solid food and you know does your kid look like they're doing okay and I think you know those are the kinds of things they're trying to communicate. But I agree the implementation issues here are very very difficult.
0: So that that rate of uh, of 16 on the south side uh how does that break down between first month and and post uh, so I don't that I don't
1: that I don't know actually.
0: Okay. So that's that's interesting. Have you thought about other issues I mean, one issue I've heard people worry about is um a rise in maternal mortality in the United States. Mothers dying in childbirth. Have you looked at any of that data? Those data?
1: I haven't. I mean, those those numbers are very small. I think it's right that they've they've gone up a bit over time, but they're really, really, really small, um, which is great, uh, but makes it harder to to sort of pinpoint a particular cause.
0: So let's summarize. Uh, step back and give me your your assessment of of what you've learned from this this more nuanced and and more uh, complete data that you have on on births and deaths so we started off by saying on the surface the u.s despite its relative wealth is um something like croatia uh it's 51st in the world in infant mortality which is um somewhat appalling and the question is and we're double uh the best the countries in the world that are doing the best at uh, keeping infants alive such as finland given that you've what you've looked at now, how would you summarize what we know about that uh, that picture?
1: I think that what I would say is that, that the, the what we get out of our, our data is uh, a recognition that the issues that the U.S. is having are not issues about the, the kind of medical technology part of this. And I think that's in some ways surprising to people because I think often we think about infant mortality as kind of being special and about things that are happening in hospitals and NICUs and how we're doing with very small babies. And it's it's true that that, that is an important part of infant mortality, but it's not a place that the U.S. is falling down. Instead, the, the place that the U.S. seems to be doing worse is in the more mundane issues of, you know, what is happening before birth, um, you know, which is most of which is going to be about things that are happening in people's households. Uh, and then what's happening kind of after people are home uh, with their their infants and and both of these are not unrelated to broader issues in the u.s like we in general have a higher higher mortality rate among children uh, among adults than, than most other places and sort of thinking about this a little holistically and and particularly thinking about how we can support you know women with infants when they are at home I think is something that might be of, of some significant policy value
0: although it wouldn't be a bad idea to have everyone be as well, office there in Finland, if we knew how to get no, there. I agree. If we knew I how mean, to get there. A,
1: <laughs> yeah, if we knew how to get to, to a place with, with less uh, inequality, I think that that would, would also be good, but I, I feel like that may be a slightly, more, um, a slightly more complicated thing to address.
0: I would say less poverty. I would not say less inequality. I would right. say... No, right? Right.
1: Less poverty. I think that's exactly right, yes. It, it is exactly the poverty that is the issue, not the inequality per se. That's, that's exactly right.
0: Uh, so close and talk about uh, either what you feel you've learned or where you'd like to go down the road in um, in thinking about these kinds of issues, not just infant mortality, but you know, there's a lot of, I think, um, noise, not much light, a lot of um, uh, yelling and um, posturing about the U.S. health system. Uh, there are people who want us to go more toward Single payer. There are those of us like myself who would like a less centralized system, which seems very far off, but um, one can always dream. And one way that people argue for these different policy positions is they tried out data about life expectancy. They tried out data about uh, infant mortality, et cetera. And um, I mean, to me, it's a ha- your story is a half full story in the sense that access to quality medical technology at birth does not seem to be a problem in the United States. That's glorious. Maybe we pay way too much for it. I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Um, and I'm sure we do lots of things that are not... We pay a lot for it, yeah. that's for sure. Um, but talk generally about this issue of, of healthcare data. I mean, it's a very... And, you know, we had Martha Nussbaum on recently talking about uh, using different measures of well-being other than, say, gross domestic product, other than, say, per capita income and people push for health measures and obviously it's more complicated than it might seem at first. So what's your thought? What are your thoughts on those issues?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a very, uh, this, as you say, this is a very complicated area. And I think we, uh, one of the issues that, that we clearly have in the U S and this, you know, this is true in this infant mortality stuff, but it also comes up when we start talking about sort of things like obesity and, and diabetes and, and a set of, you know, health issues which arise later later in life in all of these things we see these huge differences in across socioeconomic groups in the US and i think a lot of a lot gets made of kind of let's look at these other places and you know see how much better they're doing on these various things without recognizing that the that the circumstances that we're facing uh, in the US given how much diversity there is and and how large the differences are in in income and and in some sense how how poor the, the poorest people in the US are. This makes all of these problems much more difficult to to tackle. And so, you know, saying things like, so for example, I read something, somebody sent me something about how, you know, Denmark has figured out how to address childhood obesity using a comprehensive family centered plan, you know, and that's that's so successful and like shouldn't we do this in the US? We sort of look like, okay, what's the plan? The plan is like the kids uh, you know, the family eats a meal together every night, you make sure the kid doesn't have more than one helping of the, you know, like boneless, skinless chicken breast yeah. that the mother has carefully prepared. It's like, you know, and then the kid goes running outside. It's like, okay, why don't you try to port that model, you know, to the south side of Chicago? Like, where's the kid going running in 73rd Street in Stony Island, you know, after dinner? Uh, this just is like, this isn't a realistic thing. And I think we we need to try to think about some of these problems in the context of the setup that we that we have the sort of broader, the broader setup. And I think it makes many of these problems much more intractable and, and much harder to think about it, And also means that focusing on them in kind of a minor way outside the context is just a very, very complicated and probably useless
0: approach. It just strikes me that so many of the things that, that get suggested that that's a great example that, that wouldn't fly culturally in the United States they are not going to be implemented well in the United States, um, wouldn't be politically popular in the United States.
1: Right. No, I mean, uh, it's just not going to happen. So, you know.
0: So it seems to me that, you know, the the single biggest policy thing we need, to, we would like to improve in the United States is um, giving people ways to use their skills in the labor market, uh, which we are not doing a great job on. And if I had to pick one thing to make health better, that would be it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think that's I think that's right. I mean, I think fundamentally that's you know, there's a lot of other things we could do around the edges, but that is that is a very central thing. And without that, it's going to be hard to make really, really large changes in any of these dimensions.
0: My guest today has been Emily Oster. Emily, thanks for being part of eCon Talk.
1: Thank you so much for having me.